unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Coming up on this episode, happy to welcome Ken Willis, sports columnist from the Daytona Beach News Journal. We will bat around a variety of sports topics. Ken's standing by in the virtual green room and will join us in just a few moments. Uh, We might even hear from his beagle as well. All right, so Jerry West is demanding a retraction and apology from HBO due to the portrayal of him in the series Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty. His attorney sent a letter to HBO and their producer arguing the show portrayed him as an out-of-control, intoxicated rageaholic. So basically, they've made him a buffoon. Uh, I have yet to uh, catch this uh, particular series, um, everything I've heard about it is that it's over the top, but it is a Hollywood production. So not sure why that's a surprise. Um, so they're claiming that the portrayal is fiction pretending to be fact, uh, saying that, you know, he did things like, uh, arguing against the selection of magic, throwing his finals MVP trophy and attempting to replace head coach Paul Westhead with former teammate Elgin Baylor in the middle of a road trip. Now, the series so far has only taken place during the 79-80 season. It is not really the time of his his rise as the uh, the great general manager, which began in the 82-83 season and lasted nearly 20 years. And, of course, uh, Mr. West is currently a consultant with the Crosstown L.A. Clippers, but... Uh, not sure what he's going to be able to get out of this. I mean, it is a, a TV series based off a book, Jeff Perlman's book, Showtime, Magic Kareem Riley and the L.A. Lakers Dynasty. Uh, in fact, we've had Jeff Perlman on this program before. Uh, I, you know, again, everything I've heard about the series has been uh, uh, that it's a, uh, you know, it's 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 kind of polarizing. I think people either really love it or they really dislike it. And I've heard a lot of uh, a lot of co- commentary about that. Uh, again, we'll have to wait and see what becomes of this. But again, this is probably nothing other than Jerry West is trying to fix what he feels is damage to his credibility and integrity. And how about this? So Lincoln Riley, the head coach at USC, has now penned an open letter to Oklahoma Sooners fans. Uh, explaining his decision to leave Oklahoma for the West Coast. Uh, He writes that it was an unexpected opportunity. Quote, as much as my family, I love Norman and cherish the success we were having on the field. Sometimes life throws you curveballs at the most unexpected times. Honestly, I always figured I would end my coaching career at OU, but when my agent called me to pass along interest from USC, I was immediately intrigued by the possibilities. So, this letter to me lacks a little bit of sincerity because it's five months later. <laughs> Isn't this something you write within the first week upon your departure to try to explain yourself? Why he would go back and do this now is a little bit beyond me. But uh, yeah, this uh, crazy uh, uh, world of college football with the coaching carousel, the transfer portal, it keeps things interesting. That is for sure. All right, it is my pleasure to welcome to the show sports columnist from the Daytona Beach News Journal, 
Ken Willis. Ken, thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you. It always sounds like they say communist when they call you with a <laughs> title. So I always like to clear that up. No, all for the red, white, and blue here. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Not, of communist, but the night is young. And I hear they throw great parties. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah, there you go. And of course, I won't say the year, but uh, once upon a time, uh, Ken and I were uh, classmates at uh, DVCC. For those who might be familiar with that, is now Daytona State College. And uh, yes, also. Yeah. Did a couple semesters at the Bagpiper Student Newspaper, and of course, uh, you launched your journalism career out of there. <laughs> and uh, you don't even want to say what century, much less what year. <laughs> We're talking different centuries at this point. Yeah. Yeah, did you ever? Did you ever get that? Uh, did you ever get that work release anklet anklet taken off? Or <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I'm not really at liberty to say at this point in time, <laughs> but. <laughs> But yes, uh, uh, but yes, so, but those were the days, and of course, uh, <laughs> uh, of course yes, they were. Yes, of course, you're uh, uh, been uh, at the uh, news journal for quite some time, and so thought I have you on uh, bat around a few sports topics and uh, uh, get reacquainted. And uh, first up, uh, wanted to talk about. I know you did a, a recent column about uh, Clayton Kershaw's uh, uh, early exit while throwing a perfect game. Pitch counts in baseball. It's uh, it's such a hard thing for me to wrap my head around. Uh, these yeah, I, was, days. I was looking at the uh, at different topics that we might uh, touch on tonight, and I saw that, and I, went, I said, hey, maybe I should research that a little more, and then I got distracted. But I think it really became a big thing with Steven Strasburg, didn't it? When Strasburg came along, they had such a limit on him. He was basically treated like a veal with a very strong right hoof. <laughs> you know, and uh, and they had what seventy pitches, I think it was. And then remember, they shut him down in July or August one year or August when they were had a chance at the playoffs. And I think that's when it really became fully ingrained in baseball. And you, you just look back at the innings pitch. I was researching that. You know, broke another one of my cardinal rules and actually did a lot of research. <laughs> on it. And uh, it was forty-two years ago when Steve Carlton. Steve Carlton was the last pitcher to throw 300 innings. It was 1980. That blew me away. I said, boy, it does seem like it carried on a little bit. And prior to that, you know, Phil Negro would throw 340, but he was a knuckleballer. You really can't count that. Uh, but, you know, it was 300 to 330 was the norm for the leader in the major leagues there for those, you know, 1960 to 1980. And uh, you, you kind of wonder how those guys, you know, good Lord, how did they not die a young, horrible death pitching all those innings. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know how we got into it other than that they've got so much money wrapped into these talented young arms that they treat them, again, they treat them like veal. And, you know, these people that prepare modern baseball players and run modern baseball organizations, they sure as hell know a lot more about it than I do. And they, they know it. they have to. I mean – or I assume, but you do wonder, I mean, the human body is a human body and it hadn't changed that much. I mean, we're not as consistent as horses over the millennia, but we're, uh, but we're pretty darn consistent. Uh, you know, we don't die of consumption these days or milk leg, but we, <laughs> we do seem to have a lot of the same functioning parts as we did, uh, you know, thousands of years ago and why a uh, pitcher is unable to throw 250 innings, or a hundred pitches in a night, um, you know, it beats the hell out of me, but I, you don't want to sound like the angry old man shaking his fist at the cloud, 
but uh, but sometimes you feel <laughs> sometimes you feel like I do, I do that often. Of course, you know, I wonder, you know, too, how much is the you know the fact that these guys are trying to throw the ball as hard as they can now, uh, and just emptying their tank. Uh, so to speak, uh, you know, it's, yeah. you know, you know, back in the day when you talked about guys like, like, you know, Steve Carlton, and things like that, they, they threw a lot of different pitches, you know, yeah. now it's a lot, a lot of it's gas. <laughs> and it, it is, yeah. it seems like, uh, you know, uh, to me, I still think you, you, you could go a little bit longer, but I think the art of pitching has suffered greatly. Oh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I, whenever, if I check the listings, if I've got nothing else going on in my life and I check the listings and see that the Cubs are on and Kyle Hendricks is pitching, I want to watch that game because he's one of the few around today, quality pitchers, who's a pitcher because he, you know, he doesn't have – it's forced on him. You know, a lot, of, a lot of things are born of necessity. He doesn't have a 98-mile-an-hour fastball, so he's forced to be a pitcher. Uh, I, I, I just wonder how he came along this day and age, how they – let him progress up the minor league ladder because he didn't throw, doesn't throw that hard and didn't throw that hard, but he, but he still is a quality pitcher. Now he's one of the guys, and I'm sure there's others and they're just escaping my mind right now. But, but if I see that Kyle Hendricks is pitching on color TV, <laughs> I'm going to try to watch it the best I can. Uh, it's just, yeah, I hate what's, what's happened. Everybody likes all the old, now the real grumpy old men like to like to bring up Nolan Ryan as, as an example, because he threw gas. Had an amazing curveball, of course, mm-hmm. but he threw was known for the hundred mile an hour Peter, and he threw you know over two hundred pitches several times in his career and came back three or four days later and pitched again. But I don't, I try not to bring him up as an example because that guy was you know he was carved out of stone on Olympus somewhere and was sent here from a, you know he was sent here from another planet. It seems like you can't really take the one outlier and, and use him as an example, but there are plenty of other examples out there of guys who were able to throw 250 to 325 innings and, you know, and, and they lived until the, like the median age of uh, males in this country. Before death. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Nolan Ryan certainly was a, was a superhuman as far as that yeah. goes. Yeah, yes. for sure. Um, so you uh, obviously uh, were at the masters recently, and I know you've covered that as a journalist many times, but you, uh, since 86, yeah, wow! I tell everybody my first one was '86. I should have quit right there. You know, that's when Jack that was the Nicholas. Six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, but I I went back every year '86 through Tiger's fifth and '19, and then '20 and '21 they kind of cut severely cut back on you know attendance, you know presence of media and everybody else. But then this year uh, got back at it this year and had a ball. Yeah, it's yeah. great. Yeah, and and uh, you also did a little stint as a civilian. Uh, at the Masters. What was that experience like? I got the hat to prove it. This is one of the, they come up with new things. There's a few new things in the souvenir shop every year. And you go up there and I say, I don't need a damn thing. I could start my own Masters store with merchandise. (laughs) And you just get suckered into it. You see it and it looks cool and you buy it. And, uh, but they always have a new something or several new shirts, hats and whatever. And one of the new ones this year was this one. The patron hat. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> yeah. So I, the day that I spent all day as a fan, I'm sorry, a patron. <laughs> I yes, careful. I bought that hat. And uh, my routine generally up there over the years was to spend a hell of a lot more time on the course than in the media center. 
And I, cause I'm a golf nerd. I hardly, I don't play much anymore. I got the yips several years ago, the putting yips, and it just sucked all the fun right out of it. And plus I just, the game was not for my mentality. Somehow it took me 30 or 40 years to realize that I'm a happier person now that I hardly, <laughs> I can guarantee you that I'm a much more fun to be around. I don't wake up in the middle of the night and jump out of bed and go, what if I try get this here and do that and do that. I don't, I'm not, you know, practicing the swing in storefront windows. Um, so I'm more fun to walk down a sidewalk with. Uh, but my, I, I'm a golf nerd. There's nothing that I love baseball. Always baseball has always been my favorite sport, but right there with it is major championship golf. There's, there's just something about the pressure and what it means to these guys. And you can see it on, in the close-ups. You just, you can feel the cotton that's in their mouths as they're trying to get saliva you know? <laughs> and, and they're trying to breathe. You could just see it. You can see it in their eyes. And I just love that. And there's nothing, there's no counter punching going on. They can't play off of a defender. Everything they do, they're creating and and i just love that and uh and the masters of course is the one major that's played at the same venue every year men's major it's played at the same venue every year so and, you know it's got its own mystique and all that so my routine for almost 40 years has been to go into media center put put my laptop down hook it up set up then leave and go out on the course and then come back late in the day and you know and a lot of, you know, you got to come out. I come back in, like, for instance, on Sunday, I come back in with the leaders tee off at number 10, the final group tees off number 10, go back to the media center because, you know, it's hard to cover. You can't cover a golf tournament like you cover a football game. It's not right down there in front of you. You got to, mm-hmm. you got to kind of watch what's going on. So you're kind of a prisoner to that. So I do go back in there late in the day and uh, do what I got to do. But, I spent 85%, give or take, of my time out on the golf course. But this one particular day this year, Friday, I spent 100% of my day out on the golf course, and it was a blast. It was to stay there till the bitter end was out on the course. It was the first time I'd done that. And I collected a lot of the uh, – not a lot. It's a several of the souvenir – the beer – when you buy a beer – now, this is the uh, – by the way, this is – the crow's nest cup they uh, last year I, I hear they did it last year they came up with their own craft brew which is basically like a blue moon they call it the crow's nest which is the name of the amateur uh living quarters above the old clubhouse is called the crow's nest where all the amateurs stay during masters week or they can stay they don't all stay but they're they can if they want to so anyway this was a new if you buy a crow's nest you get the souvenir cup but actually if you buy a soda if you buy any uh, Miller Lite, they don't call it Miller Lite, they call it the light beer, uh, you get the cup. And I've got enough of these cups. The green ones are for uh, the imported beer and for the crow's nest, but the others are clear cups, kind of clear. And I have enough of those, I think, to uh, endanger every, if I throw them all in the river, in the ocean, every right whale and humpback whale in the United States and <laughs> would, would probably be dead in about six months. But <laughs> so, but if all my plastic floated through the ecosystem, it would be a, <laughs> but they're great souvenirs. You, you, you know, you spend a few bucks on a beer, you get the plastic cup and you build enough of them, you bring them home and you pass them out to friends and you're a hero, you know? Yeah. So when, when, so when, when, Jeff, yeah. So, so I've always heard that the pricing for food and beverages, of the masters is, 
is much better than when you go to other sporting events. True. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, now I will say this, you know, if, if you buy a, a light beer in one of those souvenir plastic cups, I mean, it's up to five bucks now. That's damn near a third of the price is what you get like at, at, uh, at, at Atlanta, whatever the Atlanta Brave Stadium is called these days. It's a little less. <laughs> it's a little less than a third of the price, what you'd probably pay at the candlestick or whatever they call place where the Giants play now. Uh, I have been Dodger Stadium. I think I spent 15 bucks for a beer. So five bucks for a beer is not a whole lot uh, this day and age. No. Egg salad sandwich, buck fifty. Uh, pimento cheese sandwich is a buck fifty, and the other four or five sandwich choices are three bucks each. And uh, yeah, you don't. Yeah, you go up there. You whatever you buy. If if you're feeling uh, extremely uh, fat and, and hungry, you go up <laughs> there and you still have a twenty dollar bill in your hand you're going to get a lot of change back generally by the time you leave. <laughs> Except they've gone cashless. That was a thing that's happened since I was there in 19. It's all uh, it's all credit cards now. So that was a – I went to the ATM for no reason at all before I went up there. I always go to the ATM, get a bunch of cash out because I know when I'm out on the course, you're not taking advantage of the free media food back in the media center. And, uh, you know, even a media guy is willing to spend pop three bucks for an egg salad and a pimento cheese sandwich. And uh, so you walk up there with the cash and that was quite a culture shock not to be able to throw your cash around anymore, but times change. That's for sure. So what is the master's experience like that you can relate to a golf fan who's never been there before? Well, I mean, it's, it's not like any, let's say Bay Hill, mm-hmm. Arnold Palmer. There's not a lot of uh, casual civilian golf fans there. I mean, the people that are there are generally know their golf or they're, they at least know to don't be yahoos. You know, <laughs> you don't see a lot of yahoos. You'll see every now and then you'll see a guy walking around holding in both hands, a stack of those beer cups or, <laughs> you know, he looks like the Statue of Liberty walking around by his, and he's, and, and he's not going to last long because if he, if he starts staggering or stumbling a little bit, these uh, the security they they appear to just pop. They appear to just come about as if they were on the Starship Enterprise. They've just been beamed in, and now here they come, <laughs> and they will quietly guide somebody if they need to, which is very rare. So it's just a much more respectful yet fun. I mean, nobody, nobody's walking on eggshells, but it's just a really enjoyable experience, and I think that. A big part of it is the fact that they don't let you bring your cell phones on. And um, we had one of our kids come up this year for one of the days. I was able to get a a ticket. Along with my credential, I was able to buy a ticket. My wife went with me. And one of our kids came for one of the days. He hadn't been before. He's a golfer. And so he's wide-eyed. You know, first thing I did, we're going to walk the back nine through Amen, Amen Corner and all that before any of the golfers got back there and before the crowds got, you know, so big, it was a little tougher. So we walked and we're down there in Amen Corner. And there's still probably 3,000 people down there at nine in the morning, an hour or two before any golfer's going to come through. And they're all there just taking in the beauty of it and just visiting with each other and just having, you know, having fun. 
lot of them drinking at night. <laughs> and I always said, you know, and he'd say, that's a little early to be drinking. I said, they're probably Europeans. It's two o'clock. <laughs> and even he brought it up. He's like 24. He said, you know how nice it is not to see everybody acting like jackasses, taking pictures and selfies and instead of enjoying where you are in the surroundings. Everybody feels like it's not an actual moment unless they pull their phone out, take a picture of it, video it. And you see this at all the other tournaments. You know, if a guy's off in the woods, off the fairway, and they have to spread the crowd out in a little half moon behind them, and the camera's showing the golfer in there, and they got everybody behind them, you know, this big huddle behind them, you know, 80% of them are sitting there with their phone, you know? And it just, I don't know. To me, it's like, are you not going to be able to appreciate this moment unless you've got it on your stupid video function of your phone? I've done it too. We've all done it. And, uh, but it, but, you know, you pick your, hopefully try to pick your time, time and place to do it. And it is nice to just, but humans being humans or human nature is there's about even, and I've been there forever, been going there forever. And over half the time I've been going there, cell phones have been around and I will find myself every now and then saying, what year did Bernard Longer win this? what years he won it twice what year and i'll find myself patting my pocket like let me grab my phone and find out the like, ah, <laughs> i guess i don't have to wait and it's not that important anyway so right <laughs> 85 and 94 i believe were the years in case anybody's scoring at home I think <laughs> there you go so duly noted for there and of course scotty sheffer wins the tournament you know boy he explodes on the scene in 2022 uh hadn't having not won now four of six i think it is uh uh and then of course you know and what he did was impressive because oftentimes when you go into saturday with a with a with the size of a lead that's hard to hold over the course of the weekend yeah it is if you're a guy who shouldn't be there on friday night yeah but he's been on a roll since last fall i think you know the Ryder cup He's a little bit of a surprise pick for the Ryder Cup last year, but everybody who's all the guys in the know who see him play all the time, and I'm talking about the tour pros who are the upper rung, they, they saw and they knew. And he went to the Ryder Cup. He played three of the five matches, one, two of them tied the other. And he, he's got whatever it is. Now, here's the deal. This has happened before. This is a little more dramatic than just about all of them that have happened before to win four out of six, including your first major, the Masters, and your third shot at playing it, I believe. Uh, but such things has happened. There's been meteoric rises before in golf. And sometimes it holds, sometimes it sticks. Most times it doesn't. Uh, what makes Jack Nicholas, Tiger Woods, Lee Trevino, uh, well, Shoot, not sure how many more we can go. Gene Sarazen, in a way, if you want to go way back. Guys who can do it over the course of, of – for over a decade. Jack did it for 20 years. Tiger did it. His career was so broken up, it's hard to try to put it in the context. He did it for – Tiger did it for 11 years or so and then had a break and then did it a little bit again, then another break, and then did it for a couple of weeks <laughs> again, and now we're on another break. Uh, so – most of the guys who, and even Arnold, his his greatness, it was mid. He stretched it to about a decade, but his majors were all won over like an eight-year period. Uh, 
Um, it's just guys don't – it doesn't last a long time. They come along and they have this burst of greatness and everybody wants to say – I mean, I remember back when Rory – he won four majors between 2011 and 14. I think I've got that right. Hasn't won one since. He's come close several times. But the four majors that he won over the course of playing like 16 majors over four years, they were like the only four majors he was even close to contending in, and he won. And since then, he's contended quite a bit, but had one one. But when, after he won his fourth and. 2014, if you knew he had this penchant for winning them by a touchdown. I mean, he was lapping the field. And I can remember there were people, and I remember thinking, what are you thinking? They've been so hypnotized by Tiger and his greatness. At that time, he won 14, and they came you know, in a condensed amount of time, even more condensed than Jack won his. And people were saying, can he get the Tiger? Can he get the Jack? Can he, is he going to get to 14? Is he going to get to 18? What, you know, what do you think? You know, how long is it going to take? I'm, are you nuts? <laughs> I mean, do, you, do you not pay any attention to golf history? And of course he had one, one sense. And these things are really, really hard to win. There are fewer people capable of winning a major than say the, you know, than Bay Hill or, or the Honda or the old quad cities open. There are fewer people capable of winning them. And Brooks Kepka, another guy who won a, bunch in a short period of time he has repeated that old jack nicholas line he was famous for saying i don't have to beat as many people at a major because you know a third of the field takes themselves out of it right off the bat and the other third talks themselves out of it by friday afternoon but it's not easy i mean it's just extremely hard so i will scheffler win another major if i had to you know if you said all right here's 100 bucks and you have to bet it one way or another i'd say yeah he looks very good i can imagine he might win the next Maybe the one after that, but you just don't know. There's been so many guys that won majors, and you go, "Wow, you know, this guy's really got it." And then poof, six years later, you go, "He's sitting there on one major, you know, maybe a major in a TPC, maybe a major in a FedEx Cup." But you know, David Duval, as good as he was there for that burst of time, one major had a really good shot at a couple of Masters that he didn't win, but you know, it just it's hard and. Who's, who knows what's a, what's going to come with Scotty Scheffler other than he seems to have everything you need to build a long and good career. So. Yeah. And, of course, you mentioned Tiger, and he was a little bit of a storyline, I guess, at the, <laughs> at the Masters with his uh, return. And of course, uh, you know, uh, you were probably spared a lot of the TV coverage, which was uh, uh, a fawn fest over 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 Mr. Woods. Yeah. Um, and I find it very intriguing that, you know, and I find, you know, his return is remarkable. You can't yeah. dispute that in any way, shape or form. But. You know, it's almost like his his uh, his axis last accident. You know, is kind of vaporized into thin air. <laughs> you know, it's a it's a it's very intriguing. To me I think we've become. Aspect. I think we've become a little bit nonchalant about the miracles of modern medicine, and I think we've seen enough of these great stories. I keep thinking back to that Alex Smith documentary. If you've watched that, you know. Yeah. And you see what his leg looked like and what he went through. And you go, oh, my God. Yeah, he, we've seen it. And, of course, it's been fictionalized in a lot of, a lot of cases. We've seen a lot of, you know, we treat fictional TV shows and movies as if they're documentaries these days. <laughs> uh, that it just doesn't phase us 
I, I don't think we give it the respect in some ways that, that that's due. And maybe the fact that I've a lot of people, I can think of at least three times over the last 10 or 12 years when people said Tiger's done, he's through, might as well retire. And I kept right now, I mean, who am I? I mean, it doesn't matter what I'm saying, but I, but to mildly pat myself on the back every time I was writing, it's golf. It's not hockey. <laughs> he's not playing linebacker for the bears and, and he's not playing, you know, he's not playing defense for the Montreal Canadians. It's golf. If he's physically capable of practicing long enough to make the 90 yard flip wedge automatic to make the 150 yard pitch and wedge or nine iron automatic and to make the six foot putts automatic. If he's able to practice long enough to do that and can go out there and walk a golf course for a week, he can win golf tournaments. So, you know, it's not, again, it's not, it's not easy. It's a lot harder. It's a lot more physical. It's not just the golf tournaments and the walking, the 18 holes Thursday through Sunday. It's the hours you have to put in on the range and the putting green and the practice chipping green and bunker. It's the hours that you have to put in there to make the swing under pressure a given. It's an automatic. That's why they practice so long. It's not because they like it. You want to know that this shot that I have to hit under pressure I've hit it 5,000 times. Mm -hmm. That's why they practice as much as they do. And if you get to a point where you're physically unable to practice as much as you need to, to make those shots automatic, that's what does it. I mean, he can, you know, he obviously can walk 72 holes. He did it. Um, But it's his putter wasn't very good. Uh, His driver was scattered, Um, but he drew the people and it was on Saturday we went and watched uh, the third green and the fourth tee fourth tee is a par three tough par three and short par four is number three and you watch them play up three and watch them tee off four and stand there from behind the tee and watch them cut out if you want Uh, I forget Scotty was playing with I think Cameron Smith that day too I believe I'm not 100% sure but they were the last group out on Saturday you, you, you would have thought it was Billy Mayfair and Morris Hatowski out there. I mean, they had, yeah, they had some people. They had the people in the grandstands who just park in that grandstand and watch that hole all day. But in terms of people following them, I mean, I've got – I've probably got more people following me on a Friday night, or at least I should, <laughs> <laughs> over here on Canal Street. But, uh, but it was amazing because – Everybody was with Tiger. And part of that was if Phil had been there this year, uh, at least a quarter of that crowd would have been following Phil. Now, in a normal year, you would have had half of them with Phil, half of them with Tiger. But with Tiger being such a story this year, he was going to outdraw Phil in this in this particular year. But we'll never know because Phil was <laughs> home in the, in the recliner, as far as we know, unless it was in Saudi Arabia making making plans in practice balls. <laughs> yeah, well, and I hope at least Tiger, you know, as he continues to play, when, when he does play, will at least have hired a full-time staff of people to drive him around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if, if I'm Tiger Woods. I'm not getting into an Uber or a Lyft. Uh, I'm not going to trust that. I'm not going to trust a cab. I don't think some tiger was, but yeah, I, I would probably have somebody, but you know, guys in that position, or I don't know if you remember the original longest yard. When, yes. Uh, when, 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 uh, uh, shoot, Ray Nitsky 
took it right right in the gym bag from Burt Reynolds. <laughs> got up, sat around. Remember that? I know yep. what I'm doing. <laughs> yep. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> That's these guys, you know. Let me drive. No, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's a great hey, analogy. Said, if it worked once, if it worked once, it'll work again. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so the latest uh, iteration of the match has been announced. Uh, Brady and Rogers versus Mahomes and Allen. So it's an all NFL quarterback version. Has yeah. the match, is this a still a relevant thing or do you think it's run its course? No, it's, it has jumped uh, two sharks. It has jumped a school of sharks, I think. But yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, one thing I don't want to do is watch celebrities slash athletes play golf. Um, if I'm watching golf on TV, I want it to be guys or girls that are so much better than I am <laughs> that you want to watch the best. Um, I wouldn't want to watch. I wouldn't want to watch a bunch of uh, football players play a pickup basketball game or a pickup hockey game. Um, I wouldn't want to watch baseball players play a seven on seven football game. I, you know, but having said that, well, I watch eh, if there's nothing else on. <laughs> I'm sitting here right now, though. I don't even know when it is. When is it? June? I think it's early June. Yeah. Early June. Eh, all right. I'll probably watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I did see and said, like, yeah, well, I, I probably would still rather watch baseball at, at, at that particular uh, juncture. Um, if, only if Kyle Hendricks is pitching. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you are you know, in Daytona, so the World Center of Racing. And uh, wanted to get it's your That's what it says on the T-shirts. Jeff. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's a, it's great marketing. That's for sure. Um, yeah. So. I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on the state of NASCAR. You know, I, I, uh, I was following it some when it was starting to get, it got on the edge of the mainstream for, for a little bit. Uh, but there were a lot more stars in the sport then. And I think it lacks star power now. Um, and I also think that these green, white checker overtime finishes are, are kind of a, kind of a predictable situation week in a week out. What would you say the state of NASCAR is? Well, as we sit here right now, it's pretty good because they drew 4 million viewers. Uh, they had pretty good, ra- had really good ratings uh, this past Sunday night, Easter night, uh, for their dirt race at Bristol. And tend to think, yeah, hey, Easter night, everybody's, you know, got the relatives out. There's nothing really, there's not a lot else on, you know, maybe that's, that's what did it. But it was smart to go ahead. They used to never race on Easter. That was a no-no. Mm-hmm. Mother's Day and Easter was just block off those weekends. They weren't racing, but you know, they wised up with time. Um, right now they're about like that. I would say, I mean, for a while, for a long time, they were like that. Now back in the you know nineties through about 2002, you know, they were doing that. Yeah. They were straight up. And, yeah. uh, and you know, as, as you know, you, you have to, give out the disclaimer and say, listen, I'm not, you know, I'm not promoting, I'm not promoting disaster here. The Earnhardt death in 01 just, it was already going up before that, but for a year or so after that, six months or a year after that, I mean, when when NASCAR and the Earnhardt tragedy is on, you know, the NBC nightly news, uh, time magazine, uh, New York times, when it's mainstream media, not just sports coverage, but news coverage, I mean, you draw a lot of eyeballs, and uh, and they rode that, and uh, and plus also oh oh one, the 
2001 Daytona 500, that was the season that began. That was the first race of their first ever wall-to-wall network TV contract. Before it was piecemeal, the tracks went out and made their own contracts, TV contracts for individual races. But that was the first year that they had a wall-to-wall network contract with Fox and NBC. And so that, all that was the perfect storm. And and that lasted through about oh three or four and it leveled off and then it started sliding and people, you know, started realizing that every race, the casual fans that came in and that's what everybody's after the casual fan, like in, in, in elections or after the swing voters <laughs> and sports are after the casual fan, uh, the casual fans came in and over time they realized that poof, a lot of these races, most of these races don't look, really don't look like they do in the commercials, you know, because <laughs> then the commercials, best slam, bam, smoke, fire, flames, barrel rolls. Then they start really, boy, there's a lot of boring ass races on a lot of Sundays. <laughs> and uh, so I think that hurt. Um, and I don't, you know, this is not a theory I trot out at uh, in polite society a lot, but I trot it out in, you know, places like this <laughs> is that, in the wake of Earnhardt's death, you know, the safety revolution came along mm-hmm. and which was needed. And there's, again, I also perceive my talk on this of they had to do it. And it's a great thing. They did it. And the safety revolution has been amazing, had to be done, needed to be done. I'm glad it was done. And it's a good thing that it was done. But <laughs> if once you presumably or, or, appear to have taken away a large element of danger when that danger element has been, you know, when it's been lessened tremendously by the amazing work they've done at the R and D center in Concord, North Carolina, outside Charlotte, the crash test dummies, the safer barriers, the head and neck restraint that if Earnhardt had been wearing, he'd be alive today. Um, that combined with a safer barrier, he'd, he'd definitely be alive. But just just that that thing around his neck, he he would be here today as a seventy one, almost seventy one year old man. Um, and and other cockpit changes and crush zones and crush panels in the car, all that amazing. But the unintended consequence is that the fan watching today are are you gonna? I don't know if you remember when. Philippe Petit walked the towers of the World Trade Center, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or he used to walk that tightrope between iconic places, you know, Grand Canyon maybe or whatever. Uh, maybe it was Evil Knievel that walked the tower, to walk the line. <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to think. But you, you, you're, you're glued to that. You're glued to this guy walking this tightrope. But if they put a net under him, Eh. Are you going to be glued to it? You're not going to be glued to it. And figuratively speaking, the NASCAR drivers and the other levels and, and Formula One, IndyCar, and all this, they have, it's not bulletproof. It's far from bulletproof. But compared to the way it was in 2001 and before, especially before, they have a net under them now. And so, the casual fan doesn't have the feeling. I think it's subconscious 
a lot of it's subconscious, but they don't have that underlying feeling that, Hey, these guys are risking their lives out there. And, you know, certainly I, you know, knock on wood. I mean, yeah, you can still get hurt pretty bad in this, but nobody has died since February of one. Thankfully three guys died the season prior to that. Um, but you take away that factor of, Hey, these guys are risking their lives. I think you, uh, I think that has added to what was until this year and last year, what was that little steady, sometimes like this, sometimes like that, where people are peeling away because they don't feel like they're watching guys endanger themselves. Yeah. We're hoping, we're hoping to see something that spectacular, but they don't die. That's right. (laughs) I remember David Poole was uh, the late David Poole wrote for the Charlotte Observer. He covered NASCAR at the last 10 or 12 or so years of his career. And he used to always say, um, fans don't necessarily want to see wrecks. They want to see drivers walk away from wrecks. That's why that sounds like a smart thing to say, right? Uh, sounds pretty good, but that, I don't know. I think there's a twist in there somewhere where they, they still want to see spectacular wrecks and they don't want to see somebody being helicoptered in the medevac away to the hospital, but human nature is human nature. When somebody is, the ratings are up the next week and it's just a hell of a thing to, hang your hat on and you're not calling for it. And God knows you don't want it to happen. But I just remember back 10 years or so ago when Tony Stewart had that horrible accident at that short track in upstate New York, the day before the Watkins Glen race was a Watkins Glen. I think it was the day before that where that on the short track with the, with the sprint cars or whatever. And, and that, and his car clipped that kid who some, for some reason got out of his car after a wreck, and the kid was killed. The net Tony was going to race the next day, he ended up not racing. But the ratings for that race the next day, it was, you know, it was a whoop. <laughs> if you look at the weeks before and the week after, it was whoop. Because that type of stuff, you know, just human nature, you know. And again, I don't, you know, I don't bring this up <laughs> in polite society a lot, but the fact of the matter is. NASCAR and all forms of racing are much safer than they used to be. And thank God for that. I mean, it's great. But again, the unintended consequences is that, you know, is the casual fans not watching because he's not, not on the edge of their seat wondering, you know, God, is somebody, is something horrible going to happen? Yeah. And yeah, maybe we're better off without those people. I don't know. But if you're, (laughs) but if you're selling ad revenue for a network, if you're a pro- if you're a product like NASCAR selling yourself to a network that wants to sell ad revenue, well, you'd like to have it both ways, but uh, that's not the way the world works. All right, a couple quick topics to close out on. So the USFL is back after a, <laughs> <laughs> after a what uh, almost. Uh, 40-year absence, uh, uh, so to speak. And, of course, this version is not meant to be the same as the, the prior one. But, uh, you know, I was a fan of the old league and, and thought it was a blast and a lot of fun. But uh, spring football, you know, people keep coming to the table with it, and it doesn't find a way to last. Uh, no. Think no. this will be any different? <laughs> Probably not. I mean, but you got to go, you know, judge from history. One thing that – aren't they, they're playing all their games in Birmingham, right? Yeah. That was a smart move. I mean, that told me, okay, at least they know 
they've got some business sense, at least to start with. I mean, their game plan, I would assume, would be over the years to have these teams move on to their communities and whatnot. So that seems like a smart move. So that gives them a slightly better chance of surviving. I think they, they there needs to be a minor league NFL league out there, a pro football league. There needs to be one, I think, because there's a lot of these guys who slip through the cracks and get hurt and go on a practice squad and maybe get hurt again. And they're capable of playing. And it's, you know, they need a triple a baseball for football, but uh, do they need, uh, do they need one that's trying to overachieve and trying to become a, a network product? I don't know. I don't know what the answer is to that, but uh, I think probably in the coming years, depending on how the college football situation shakes out with NCAA and the NILs and all that, college football, even more so than it is now, might more directly become the de facto AAA baseball for for the NFL. Mm. Uh, we'll see how that all works out because um, there's a talk about unintended consequences. <laughs> Let these guys go out and make their own money. That's really – and it was so predictable once you saw that it was what was coming, what would happen between the transfer portal and NIL. I mean, that was – I mean, that was a – 50 piece band brass band coming around the corner on Broadway. If you didn't see or hear that one coming, you weren't paying any attention whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. We're getting exactly what we knew we were going to get. So. Yeah. And uh, of course, you know, college football you know, gets their annual spring games in and, you know, people get all excited, even though these are glorified practices, uh, yeah. but, but you know, it does, you know, nice to have that hope spring eternal for, you know, the, yeah. for the coming season and, what, and whatnot. Uh, yeah. What are your thoughts on those? Well, I mean, they go from, you know, you go from the season, the season ends and shortly thereafter, oh, geez, even before the bowl games, now you got the early signing day and then you got February signing day. So you got recruiting season, the regular season followed by recruiting season. So the hot, hot and heavy fans pay attention to all that that are into that. And then after the recruiting season ends, now you got transfer portal season. You got to watch that, see who's coming and going. And that leads right into spring practices and spring game. And after the spring game, I don't know what happens between now and preseason practice, but I assume I know the coaches do their speaking tours, but I, I assume that the transfer portal is like a seven 11. I mean, I'm, I'm <laughs> guessing that thing's 24 seven. It never, never, the sun never sets on the transfer portal. So that thing's still going. So you got guys coming, you know, watching that thing, you know, I don't know. That, They've created all, an offseason like the NFL. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's no, it's even crazier than the NFL because these are nobody's transferring to Arkansas and signing a five year contract or a three year contract. <laughs> They're transferring to Arkansas. Man, yeah, if I don't like the feel of the, if the water's too cold here, I'm going to head right back to the portal and transfer to Mississippi State or whatever. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's really nuts. And I mean, they're going to have to figure out some sort of uh, guardrails on that thing and try to figure out how it's, you know, put a little bit of sanity in it. You want people to be able to come and go, but there's got to be some, you know, there's got to be a little bit of uh, 
consequences or, or something. I don't know what the word is I'm looking for, but there's, it's got to be better than it is right now. But a lot of things were ugly in the beginning before that. Something <laughs> to provide a little stability, right? Yes, absolutely. That might have been the word I was looking for right there. <laughs> well, I've served my purpose at least. <laughs> That's right. Stability is a word that I just don't, you know, it's foreign to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Well, uh, Ken, I very much appreciate the time. This has been a blast. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, give folks a uh, uh, a quick hit, quick I like to call them shameless plugs uh, follow your work at the Daytona Beach News Journal yeah easy to find you know Ken Willis if you Google or whatever your whatever search engine you prefer Ken Willis Daytona Beach News Journal I think you can wind your way around and and get a few uh, free feels before we put the paywall up, as they say down at the street corner. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's awesome, Ken. Yeah. Again, appreciate the time very much. All right, well, thank you. And now let's close out with a TV theme. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling. Toss salads and scrambled eggs, quite stylish. And maybe I seem a bit confused. Yeah, maybe, but I got you pegged. I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. Scrambled eggs all over my face. What is a boy to do? Frazier has left the building. And that is the closing theme from the great sitcom Frasier that was on NBC for 11 seasons, 1993 to 2004 created and produced by David Angel, Peter Casey, and David Lee in association with Paramount Network Television, a spinoff from the great hit Cheers that continues the story of psychiatrist Frasier Crane, played by Kelsey Grammer. He returns to his hometown Seattle as a radio show host. He reconnects with his father, Martin, played by John Mahoney, who was a retired police officer. His younger brother, Niles, played brilliantly by David Hyde Pierce, and also a fellow psychiatrist, and also Perry Gilpin as his producer, Roz Doyle, and Jane Leaves as Daphne Moon, who was uh, the caregiver for Martin and also the object of desire for his brother, Niles. Frazier, of course, was critically acclaimed, uh, won 37 Primetime Emmy Awards, a record at that time, and also won the Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Comedy Series for five consecutive years. A revival has been greenlit and expected to be released sometime this year on Paramount+. Plus. So we'll have to wait and see on that. That intrigues me, although David Hyde Pierce, I've read reports, may or may not be on this. So I don't know if this reboot is as good without Brother Niles. And of course, you know, John Mahoney's already passed away a few years ago. Um, so the reboot minus some significant members of the original cast, not impossible, but certainly, uh, uh, especially with not having Niles would be kind of a, uh, kind of a disappointment there. It could be a reboot that focuses on Frazier's life later when he, after he relocates to Chicago, but, uh, I'll be looking forward to that to see what that is. And of course our TV theme to close things out. And again, it was the closing theme. It was just a quick, uh, uh, little interlude uh, at the beginning of five seconds of instrumental going into the show. Toss salad and scrambled eggs. The closing theme that was actually performed by Kelsey Grammer himself. <laughs> 
And with that, we are done here. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Allen underscore 88, on Facebook at Jeff Allen 88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Does your dog itch, suffer from debilitating skin allergies, or trouble hot spots? We have the solution using the healing power of neem. Kramer Cell is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. Go to KramerSalve.net to order today with new low pricing. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.